Let's remain standing and pray together. Father God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we thank you for the gift of your word. We come before you today with open and receptive hearts. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us and reveal yourself to us. Have your way with us this morning. May all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise be go back to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Shalita, and I'm one of the clergy that is privileged to serve here at Truro. It's always just a great honor to share from the Word of God with you. And the title of the message that I'll be sharing with you today is God with us. What does it mean, God with us? If you have your Bible, please turn to Isaiah chapter 7, which will be the basis for our sharing today. Now, I want to give you some context because it's really important from the reading that we had today, it starts at verse 10, and when you hear that the Lord again spoke to Ahaz, I just want to give you the context of what was happening there so that you see how this prophetic word came into being. Now, the book of Prophet Isaiah was written approximately 700 years plus uh, or, or so before the birth of Christ, and it bears some of the most profound messianic prophecies pointing us to Jesus Christ to his virgin birth, to his mission, to his suffering and death, and to the hope of our salvation. You see, we're so privileged to know these days because we have both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're privileged to know the end of the story. So, you know, people back then did not have that privilege to know the end of the story. Now, last week, uh, Jamie shared with us such words of hope, good news, what he called the gospel according to Isaiah with the promise that one day all our strivings will cease. God will wipe away all our tears. Our pain and suffering will be no more. Our doubts and fears will end, and we will dwell with him in peace and harmony forever. So we know how the story ends. But chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah doesn't open that way. It doesn't open with such hope. It opens instead with political intrigue and chaos. There are several characters involved, and I'll try and, uh, you know, demystify them in such a way that it won't confuse you. But at this time, Israel was divided into two. There is what we call the Northern Kingdom, and this consisted of the ten tribes of Israel, and it was generally known as Israel or Ephraim, because they tended to name the kingdom after the biggest tribe. So that was the Northern Kingdom. And the northern kingdom had strayed from the way of the Lord. And then there was also the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom uh, consisted of the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And it was generally known as Judah, and its capital was at Jerusalem. And in the story, we also have another two kingdoms. And these ones are a little confusing because their names are similar. So we have the Syria, which was another kingdom with its headquarters at Damascus. And this was an evil kingdom. And then we also have Assyria, which was a brutal and evil kingdom that thrived on terrorizing and conquering its neighbors. So under a huge threat of Assyria, because Assyria was seeking to expand to all these kingdoms and capture them, 
the kings of Israel and Syria, after failing to forge an alliance with the king of Judah, they devised a plan to attack Judah and install a puppet king with whom they would build an alliance against Assyria. Now, the king of Judah at this time was a man known as Ahaz, and Ahaz uh, was not a godly man. He was not a good king. He was an evil king. And we're told he was terrified that these kingdoms were rising against him. And we read in verse 2 that when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. He was terrified. He was terrified at the thought of being attacked. But instead of turning to the Lord, Ahaz turned to the evil Assyrian king and subjected himself to his rule, and he paid for his peace with this king with gold and silver that he took from the house of the Lord. He was, he was just not interested. He had no regard for the things of God that he would take gold and silver and pay for his peace with this evil king of Assyria to get protection from this king rather than to get protection from God. Now, if you want to read about Ahaz, his story is told in greater detail in the book of 2 Kings chapter 16. And from there, we're told that Ahaz was about 20 years old when he became king. He reigned for 16 years. And when he began his reign, we're told he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that the kings of Israel were doing good. The kings of Israel, remember, in the northern kingdom had also gone astray. So Ahaz was like them. He was so evil, he had given up his own son in child sacrifice to the gods of the people that the Lord said, do not associate with them. They used to practice child sacrifice. So he was an evil king. So when God came to him, he said, God, because of David, King David, the Lord was merciful and gracious. And I am amazed all the time how the Lord is so merciful and gracious to him even when we rebel like Ahaz. God remains merciful and gracious. And that is what is so amazing about God. That even me, when I rebel against God, I go astray. He's constantly wooing me back, giving me opportunities, giving me a second chance, a third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, 100th chance. God is constantly seeking to reconcile himself to us, constantly seeking to reconcile himself to me. And so God says, I'm going to, you know, tell, go and tell Ahaz that assure him not to worry about this impending invasion because it won't happen. And he is told, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. The plan that they have devised against you, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. So God gave him this opportunity, but it came with a promise that you must have firm faith, you must believe in God. Ahaz chose not to believe in God still. And so God tries again. And that's the verse that we, we, we read this morning where we started uh, in the book of Isaiah. But I want you to contrast this reaction of Ahaz to another king. You know, I, I was thinking about King Jehoshaphat, who also was king of Judah. And uh, we read in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20, there is a time when there are all these armies that are coming against Jehoshaphat. And he is terrified, just like Ahaz, really terrified. 
And instead of doing what Ahaz did, Jehoshaphat, instead, you know, he says, let us fast. He calls a solemn assembly. And he says, let the whole kingdom fast. And let us seek the Lord. And let us find out what the Lord will do for us. And he goes and he prays before God and he says, you know, we do not know what to do against this great multitude coming against us. But Lord, our eyes are on you. This is what a, a godly king does. Our eyes are on you. And so God comes to him and says, just like he said uh, to Ahaz, do not fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of God. You know, many times... God's answer to our fear and chaos and panic and animosity and attack and everything is to just come and say, do not fear. Be still. Sometimes that's all we need, to be still and see the salvation of God. We don't always have to fix things. We're in a world where, you know, we try to fix everything. We try to fix people. We fix our neighbors. We fix our work. We fix everything. And sometimes all God wants us to do is to just be still and see the salvation of God. To do nothing but just look and gaze on God because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows how it will end. So against this background, we see that the Lord, who is slow to anger and abounding in mercy, he turns again to Ahaz and says, let me give you another chance to trust me. And so he goes to him and he tells Ahaz, Ahaz, Ask for a sign. Ask for a sign in heaven or on earth or in between. Ask for a sign that will help you to boost your faith in the Lord your God. But Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign. This is incredible. He rebels even then. The second time he rebels and he says, I will not ask for a sign. And he has this false piety about him. He says that, because I don't want to put the Lord uh, to the test. That is not true. If God says, ask me for a sign, he wants you to ask for a sign. How are you testing God? I mean, he was trying to show God, look, I'm so wise, God. I'm too wise for you to ask for a sign. I I will not tempt you. But aren't we sometimes like that with God? God gives us an opportunity and we're like, you know, not today. I'll put you off. You know, I know better. I can do better. I can figure this out. I don't need you right now and all this. But God knows what our hearts are like. So then God, against this whole background, that's when this whole prophecy comes. And it's a very interesting prophecy because it has two implications. One for the now and one for the future. And it says, here then, O house of David... Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is really the crux of the matter. God is challenging Ahaz, who has tried the patience of the prophets and now wants to try the patience of God himself. But the word of God still stands and never returns void, but always accomplishes that which it was intended to do. So God says, even if you don't ask for a sign, I'll give you one anyway. You know, this is what God does with us from time to time, all the time actually. That even when we reject him, he loves us anyway. Even when we turn away from him, he will still come to us. 
And Isaiah looks 700 years ahead and says Judah will not only be safe from these attacks because God was with them, but even more important, God was sending Jesus into the world to save his people, to establish an everlasting kingdom of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the same message that is echoed in the Gospel of Matthew. We read in chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him these very words. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. We're always bound by this fear. We fear. Sometimes we are terrified to do what is right. Because of fear, what will people think? What will people see about me? What? We are so driven by fear, and that's why God constantly comes and says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. So Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, this is the good news today. And this is the promise of Advent, that Jesus comes right in the middle of our fears and our chaos and brings peace and security to our frailty. Jesus comes to bring order to our chaos. Jesus does not wait for us to be clean, to be proper, to, know, you know, to be in the right posture. He meets us exactly where we are. Isaiah chapter 7, Jesus steps into the chaotic scene and brings hope to those who believe on his name. You see, there is a song we used to sing uh, long ago. We don't sing it anymore, but it says, You did not wait for me to draw near to you, but you clothed yourself with frail humanity. You did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me. I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you, O God, that you came to seek and save the lost. I'm grateful to God that he would come to seek me out. Because I fail all the time. I keep tripping. I keep falling. But he's still looking for me all the time, wooing me, bringing me back. And it's so easy to judge people that fail and fall. And, you know, we think we are good, we are perfect, we are this and that. And it's very easy. It gets the best of us. But God is not like that with us. He constantly woos us to himself. He steps into our humanity. He becomes God with us. Our Emmanuel. It's personal to hold her. Friends, this is good news. I have the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. He's with me as shepherd, as Lord, as Savior, as King, and more importantly, as my brother and as my friend. I have no need to fear. You have no need to fear. I have no need to strive any longer because Jesus lives with me and in me. This is the good news of Advent. And this Jesus that we preach, this Jesus we confess, this Jesus that we worship, this Jesus that could not be contained by all creation chooses to come to us, to take on our human nature, to live and die like one of us, 
so as to bring us closer to himself in fellowship, to live in fellowship with him forever. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. To truly understand what God with us means, we need to read Philippians chapter 2 from verse 6 to 11, and it really paints a picture of what God with us means today. It says, though he was in the form of God, and this is talking about Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Don Moen, one of my favorite worship leaders, trying to demystify what God with us is, he composed a song called God with us. And it explains it in plain language, what God with us really means. And this is what it says, he walked where I walked. He stood where I stand. He felt what I feel. He understands. He knows my frailty. He shared my humanity. He was tempted in every way just as I am, yet without sin. He was one of a hated race. He knew what racism was. He was stung by prejudice. He knew what prejudice was. He suffered injustice, yet he forgives. He wept for my wasted years. He paid for my wickedness. He died in my place that I might live. This is what God with us means. This is what it means to be our Emmanuel. Jesus comes into the world to relate to us. He lays aside his majesty. He gives up everything for us. He takes all my guilt and shame. When he died and rose again, and then he invites us to reign with him in eternity. You know, this is the same thing that's elaborated. When Jesus begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he reads again from prophet Isaiah, and he shares with us, to him, what it means, God with us. What does God, God with us mean? And what does Jesus say about God with us in explaining his ministry? And he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's what God with us means. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, this is our Emmanuel. He's with us, he is for us, he is by us all the time. He brings good news to the poor, he sets the captives free, he causes the blind to see, he causes the lame to walk, he delivers us from oppression, he crowns our heads with favor by giving us what we don't deserve. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. This is the message of Advent and this is the message of Christmas. We come to him with great expectation and hope, just like we sang, waiting here for you, with our hands lifted high, 
It is only you that we adore. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting here for you. Wait on the Lord with expectation and hope. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, here is the first truth of our holy faith. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He who was born at Bethlehem is God, and then he is God with us. God, God, there lies the majesty. God with us, there lies the mercy. Therein is glory. God with us, therein is grace. God alone might well strike us with terror, but God with us inspires us with hope and confidence. You see, God with us changes everything about us. Jesus changes everything about us forever. He steps into a chaotic, hopeless, helpless situation and completely brings restoration. We know that we as a church over the last couple of years, we endured hardship and chaos, but I want you to look around at this church. Look around. Just turn your head and see all these people and look around and look around at the worship and everything that we do here. Look around and see the testimony of what Emmanuel means. God with us at Truro. God with us at home. God with us at work. God with us in America. God with us everywhere because God chose to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. I want to share with you a story that God, that reveals another aspect of God with us that the Lord showed me. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were going through a very challenging time. And I don't care how spiritual you are, how much you pray, whether you pray in tongues or you don't, everybody goes through stuff, all right? And so we were going through this very difficult time. And we were scared and we were confused and were depressed. We didn't know what to do. But you know, from the day that uh, this man over here, Jamie, became our rector, immediately he assumed the position of our spiritual oversight. And I'm very respectful of spiritual oversight because every pastor needs a pastor. And he is my pastor. Now, don't ask me who his pastor is. <laughs> uh, but with Jamie as my pastor, I, I had to call him and I told him, that we're going through this stuff, and it's, it's really tough, and I want you to cover us in prayer. And he was very calm, and he prayed for us. He called, and he prayed with us into our tough situation and stayed with us, and he never gave up on checking on us, praying with us, just being with us. Well, he even, brought us, uh, he even bought us dinner when we had no strength to cook. Now, please don't go to Jamie uh, expecting that this will happen to you. I mean, you know... <laughs> It's kind of something that happens with priests, you know. So, but he, he was there with us. And in doing this, Jamie showed us a glimpse of what God, he showed us a glimpse of what God with us means. And this is another illustration that I want to show you what God with us also means. God with us is not just about having Jesus with us, but sharing that Jesus with others in what we do and what we say and what we are. God used prophet Isaiah, God used Reverend Jamie, God will use any of us if we are willing to be vulnerable and say, I need you, I need your help. We need Jesus to be our Emmanuel. Be real to me, God. 
reveal yourself to me. You see, God with us, Jesus is always revealing himself many times through the actions of others. So if you want to really live a life that is true of God with us, God with us cannot be just held closely to ourselves. God with us means we share. We share Jesus with others because it's God with us. Us is collective. So we share. We let other people see Jesus in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Friends, in a short while, we shall come to the Lord's table. And as we kneel at the rail with our palms open, we receive Jesus every Sunday through the sacrament of his body and blood. I like what our old liturgy used to say for the Sarsum Koda at the beginning of communion would say, the Lord is here. That's what we used to say. The Lord is here. And people would respond and say, his spirit is with us. We need to know that every time we come and gather together like this, the Lord is here. You don't have to go striving, looking for him, hunting for him. He is right here. You just have to receive him and experience him. The Lord is here and his spirit is with us. Friends, if you're here and you've never experienced God with us, I invite you as you come to communion this morning to surrender to his love and let him come into your life and be your Emmanuel. This fourth Sunday of Advent, as we wait with expectation to celebrate Christmas, may Jesus be real to you. May, he, may you receive him and receive his intimacy, his love. May you experience Jesus in a special way. May you experience the joy of his presence. May you experience God with us. God with us. God with us. Our Emmanuel. All come. All come. Emmanuel. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is with us, but we thank you that he's in us. And that he's not just with us for ourselves, but with us to share. We thank you for your grace, for your love, for your favor, for your anointing, for your blessing. We thank you for this church. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for all those who show the love of Christ to us. May you continue to have your way in us as we wait for you over this season. Come and meet us, Lord, where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.